0: Before he became the mighty warrior, before he became the king, before he became the author of Psalm 51 that we read just a minute ago, this man of fearless faith and radical trust, David, was a young shepherd in charge of just a few sheep. And he spent a lot of time in solitude, learning life's lessons out there in the lonely hills, where it was wild, where he became strong. He spent a lot of time in obscurity, unknown, not even remembered by his own father, if you can remember that part of the story, never asking for a life of fame, yet he was anointed and chosen by God. He spent time in monotony, being faithful in those menial, insignificant, regular, routine tasks of life, and he spent time in reality, in the real world, where it's not always so exciting, but it is right where God has placed you to be. For it is there that God trains us in the ways of fearless faith and radical trust in our head, in our heart, in our hands, and our habits. It's there that God prepares us so that when the time comes, we are ready to participate in His work and in the cycle of life that He calls us to. A cycle of confession and repentance and forgiveness, a cycle of worship and praise and offering, a cycle of life of following, serving, and loving. And in our Life Group series, Pastor Bob guides us through the story of David and Bathsheba this week. He guides us through the forgiveness and the strength that God gives. And it's always surprising to me that when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan for his sin, he confesses his sin and immediately says, I have sinned against the Lord. David doesn't give any excuses. He doesn't lash out in anger or try to have Nathan killed. He doesn't lie or tell Nathan that he's made a little bit of a mistake here. He doesn't say, Yo, bro, where's your proof? David is not intimidated by fear when he is confronted with what he has done, even though he knows that the penalty could and should be death. David repents, and Nathan says, God has taken away your sin. There are consequences, and they are severe, as there always is for sin. But we see that when it does come to sin, confront it, repent from it, give it to God, and let it be done away with. And I reread this story in 2 Samuel this week, and I asked myself this question, I asked myself, how did he just confess like that? How did he just repent right away? I'd like to think that I'd be able to do that in that moment, I mean, really, I'd like to be able to think I could do that in any moment, but as I look back, I've got a lot more losses in my column than I think I'm willing to admit. A lot more time of excuses, a lot more blame shifting, a lot more time I tried to cover it up and lie, too intimidated to speak the truth and just say, you're right, I was wrong. So if you'll permit me, I'd like to explore this question with you. I'd like to see how did David do this, because when we really see it, this is not just a one-time thing for David, this is a habit for him. It's a habit of him trusting God to deliver him. It's a habit that we can have too, I think, thanks be to God. And it starts at the most famous battle in the entire Old Testament. Not a battle between nations, though technically, yes, okay, it is a battle between nations. But really, it's a battle between two people. A battle between the giant and a battle between a young man. But before we get to that battle, here's a verse. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. Can you see it? Is it okay? Do I need to duck like this? John, you good? I can duck like this. Pastor Tim tells me, stand up straight. Stop leaning against it. I know he's watching in Hawaii, but I'm going to duck. Now, I didn't mean to mock him from the pulpit. That's not what I was trying to do there. I'm going to begin again. Before we look at the battle, let's, this is twice now, man. I bet I do it four times. Write it down. I'm a prophet. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even today, this is still a problem for us as people. We are always impressed with the outside appearance. Always concerned more about the outside appearance than the heart. And I think this is key to learning something about confession. Because the first step to answering that question of how he just confessed is to care more about the heart than what the eye or even the mind can see when it comes to confronting and confessing our sin, when it comes to confronting our worries and our problems that cause us fear. See, sin and worries cause us to be intimidated because they seem so big, so impossible to face or deal with. And if this verse is ever seen, it's definitely applied in the upcoming battle in chapter 17, but it's also going to be truth, I believe it, for our lives in regard to sin and the power that it has over us. So let's jump in, seventeen one to three. Here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka, which is the name of my cat, though not after the city, Asokatana from Star Wars, but you knew that already, in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soka, there it is again, and Azekah. Verse 2. Any minute. Yes, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the stage is set. In case you didn't catch all that with the fancy names, one army here, big old valley, another army here. On to the main characters, 4 verses 7. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. To sum up, this is an enormous man. That would be 9 foot 9. In case you were wondering, I didn't measure, but I'm going to go ahead and guess. That is as tall as this pulpit, probably he definitely would have to stand in the back of the Concordia Choir. (laughs) And when he would put his arms up, I'm going to guess it would be terrifying. Now, the armor covering his body, which would start at his shoulders and go down to about his knees, weighed something between 175 and 200 pounds. Now, to compare that, I one time made the mistake of feeling like a big-timer at my gym and throwing on the 20-pound vest to do the 1,600-meter... Thank you for the nod, bro. You've been there through the vest on. I did not quite reach 1,600 meters running, but I certainly walked it, sir, and it felt good. But never again will I ever do that. Now, Goliath also had a helmet. He had some pretty fancy shin guards, and the tip of his spear weighed 25 pounds. Your challenge today after the sermon is to go home and just hold the 10s, 15s for you, up there right here. And see how long you can do it. Probably not very long. I lasted two minutes, 27 seconds, but it's not a competition. Now, there's something else. His shield carrier. Goliath's shield carrier, I always thought this was like some kind of punk kid who kind of got roped into being the guy who holds the shield. I was wrong. This is a grown man who would carry this huge shield and run in front of Goliath so that when the arrows would hit it, Goliath was uh, you know, protected and whatnot. So just for a moment with me, I want you to imagine the size of this pulpit coming at you with this big old spear, and you're just chilling there on the other side of the valley. There's a reason you're up on the hill screaming out, I've got the high ground, Anakin, don't try it. It's not going to work out for you. And so what we see is Goliath, knowing that he's this big impossible beast, shouting out these challenges in verse 8 and 9. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This was a common tactic during the Middle East time, probably invented by the Philistines after Goliath was born. Your best soldier versus ours was how it went. Then we don't all have to die, and the winning side just kind of gets everything. But there's something else. A little further down in verse 16, we see that Goliath didn't do this just one time. This taunting lasted for 40 days. And that's the way giants of fear and worry work. That's the way temptations of sin and the yearnings of addiction work. They don't just come once, do they? They come morning and evening, day after day, relentlessly trying to intimidate and to take hold of us. Our fears hammer on our hearts, our sin eats away at us, yelling across the ravine of our own personal valley, making us feel small and hollow, afraid that maybe someone will find out, uh, that we could be seen for what we are. There are very few things that are more persistent than fear and worry and sin, especially when we face them in our own strength. When we say stuff like, I got this under control. It's not hurting anybody. It's not a big deal. Or we make plans and schemes to make sure that no one will know that we're doing, cover all our tracks. It's a different kind of life cycle, isn't it? Or cycle, excuse me, that sin leads us in. The one that we looked at in Judges, that spiraling descent, keeping us constantly at work to try to keep it hidden. Different kind of cycle worry leads us into an endless circle of what ifs and restlessness and I think about that and there's this break in the battle action and then we get introduced to the other main character David he appears in verse 17 Jesse said to his son David take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. He gets his instructions here from his father and he goes out to battle. I don't think he knows that he's going to be changed today. I don't think Goliath does either for that matter. I bet he was just a little bit too excited about a break from the monotony, a break from the lonely hills. He's ready to see all the people doing the fighting, all the men. He gets there, and then this happens. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, asked his brothers how they were, and as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. David's standing there, excited, finally to see the action, and the first thing that happens is this taunting and an entire army, all his heroes, all those moments he probably was sitting up in the hills thinking how great the army of Israel must be. Here's Goliath's voice, and they hide in their tent, and David is the only one standing there. Verse 24 says it like this, When the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Not too often that when others run and hide, that I stand there and go, Hey, what's going on? But David does. Everyone hides, but David's angry. He's angry because no one speaks this way about the God of Israel, and he's angry because no one's doing anything about it. Well, there is one person, though, correction here, that is trying to do something about him. His name is Saul. See, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man. See, Saul's got a plan. Saul's going to make it so tempting. Saul's going to sweeten the pot here and add a few nice incentives that someone may just be crazy enough to fight this giant. Does anybody remember how Saul was described when we first find him in 1 Samuel? He's described as head and shoulders taller than everyone else. If there was anyone who should fight Goliath, it was Saul. But Saul was a coward and Saul was afraid. Saul would not confront. Saul would offer excuses. Saul would hide. Why confront? Why confess? Maybe. Maybe Goliath will just kind of go away after he yells for a few more days. Or maybe someone else will do something and then if they fail, it'll be their fault and not his. I know how that type of thinking works. Maybe you do too. And in the midst of Saul's excuses and the fear that has seized the army, one other thing happens that you have to look real closely in the text to see I don't have the verse for you, but it's verse 25. Goliath has made his way up and down from his side and to the Israelite side. So that's what happens when we don't confront. When we let something fester, it moves right in. When we tolerate sin, when we let fear take hold of us, it moves right into our camps, makes sure all our thoughts go to it rather than, rather than to where they should. It becomes all-consuming when it should simply be given to God and done away with. And after David has this conversation with his brother, he goes to Saul. He doesn't wait around. He's heard enough. One time is all it took. And this is what David said to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Heart versus outward appearances. Faith versus sight. One says you're just a kid. You're You're too weak. You're too small. You can't do this. Take a look at your sin. Take a real look at the things that you are afraid of and the things that cause you worry. You can't do anything to stop them. They're far too big for you. And if you try, you're just going to fail and everyone is going to know. Faith responds with you're absolutely right. That's true. Faith says that because our sin and worries are great and big and impossible to beat. We see that. But we also see the heart of God, do we not? We see the heart of God in Jesus, and we know that God can face those things, that God will face those things. See, when the moment comes, when we confront it, we don't always just put on our armor and go. First, we admit that we can't do it on our own. We confess and confront that we need something, or rather that we need someone. David doesn't respond to Saul's comments here and say, I killed a bear, I killed a lion, I'm going to kill this giant. David responds by saying, God delivered me from a bear. God delivered me from a lion. And God will deliver me from this giant because the battle, the war, is the Lord's. It's why we confess our sins at the beginning of the service. It's why we confront them, we confess them, and we repent from them. Not to get it out of the way like it doesn't matter, but to get it done with because we have a forgiven life to live. We have songs of victory to sing. We have a word to be encouraged in. We have prayers that are going to be heard to offer. David knew this. He had no doubt of it because he had spent years living it and thinking about it. And so he goes without fear, whether it was a giant or whether it was anything, young or old, David learned and lived the promise that God gives to us. I will deliver you. When confronted with his sin, he knew this, confessed it, and God delivered him, and God is with him, and God is with us. This, this becomes our habit No matter or concern, no worry or problem, no sin is too big for our God. We spend so much time looking back at all the losses and so much time looking at the unknown and what's ahead. Change that. Look back at the victories. Look ahead to the promises. If you think David was livid when Goliath was making fun of all the Israelites, how much more do you think Jesus was angry when he stared down each and every one of our sins? And yet it didn't phase him. He did not hesitate. He walked straight to the cross carrying it himself and said, none of this is too great for me. And without a second thought, he destroyed the power of sin. And then he took it one step further, destroyed death and rose. That's the focus of our past. And not a single one of us sitting here probably has to go too far back till we see our own deliveries that God has given us. Those are the things we will bring to mind. And with those in our back of our mind, we'll look ahead. And if we've learned anything from looking at these Old Testament folk. It's that the problems will come and that troubles will occur, that we're going to fall and make a lot of mistakes. God wins, God equips, and God delivers. Saul said, wear my armor. David said, nah. Because God gives each of us gifts. Each of us our own armor to fight battles with him. And it means that we have a role that we get to participate in and step into a habitual role. Whether it starts when you are young or whether it starts right now. It's time. And I love how this story ends. Took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. Nice little, I wonder if he wrote that. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know. That it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. The Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. Slung it. Struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Facing giants and repenting from sin is an intimidating experience. There's no doubt about that. David could confront, confess, and repent because he trusted in God. Trusted that God would deliver him. His knees didn't knock when he faced the giant. Or when Nathan called him out. His aim wasn't shaky, nor did he hesitate in his response. Because trusting God is a stabilizing experience. We try to face these things on our own, we'll end up frustrated and failing. But making and trusting God our habit. Spending time on our knees in prayer, putting into practice what we know in our head and heart we find that we move from this life of intimidation into a life of stability. A life of trusting in Christ. A life of confession and repentance and forgiveness. A life of worship and praise and offering. A life of following, serving and loving. A life of living in the victory of Jesus Christ.